Good morning, everybody. It's great to, uh, to see you this morning, especially a uh, warm welcome if you're a visitor today. It is uh, lovely to have you, you with us um, this morning. Uh, it's fantastic to have this coat in here, and we are really, really sad at school, but uh, joyful that uh, you're going on to greater things, and we are trusting the Lord for the future of the school, and that's, uh, that's wonderful. So it is uh, good to, uh, to be together. Um, we are starting in a new series today in, in the book of Exodus, so if you've got a Bible, please have it open. Uh, if you haven't got one, uh, you can always go back to the back of the church and just pick one up, uh, because this is where we're starting. Let me pray and ask that the Lord would speak into our hearts and lives. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for your grace and kindness to us. We thank you that you're a God who's chosen to reveal himself to us through your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts to meet with you, the living God. And that we begin these studies through the book of Exodus, uh, you would speak into our lives, uh, show us Jesus, uh, show us what we need, uh, draw us more fully into your presence, Lord, and and transform our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, this uh, new series, we've given the title uh, uh, Freedom. Now, Jin Yong, I don't know if you can just pop up the first slide. There it is. Um, That freedom, of course, is what we long for, what we fight for, what we we love to see. So whether it's the liberation of Paris or the uh, fall of the Berlin Wall or the incredible rescue of Chilean miners, um, we love to see this this freedom, this rescue. Uh, Maybe it feels like that. It's the end of term feeling when you're finished term and you can be free. Maybe, Tracy, it's the sense of, I'm coming to the end, I'm going to be set free. Uh, I don't know what it is for, for you, this sense of freedom. Often we think, though, of freedom as simply freedom from something, the throwing off oppression, those things that hold us back, that tie us down, that enslave us. Freedom is throwing off that oppression. And that's certainly true, but in the, in the book of Exodus and in the Bible as a whole, we discover that true freedom is not just freedom from something, but it is freedom for something, or better still, freedom for someone. Uh, we can run into trouble, I think, if we, if we just think of freedom from. Uh, that was the problem pointed out many times, of course, with the situation in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, military forces sent in to, to set countries free from tyranny, uh, Saddam Hussein, from the Taliban extremists. You know, an admirable goal to be set free, but, but with no real end game, no plan, no freedom for. There was just freedom from, but no understanding what freedom for was looked to look like and, and potentially, therefore, ending in a worse situation for those nations. In the book of Exodus, then, and as we trace through the whole Bible, we see that true freedom is being set free from slavery. In the specific context of Exodus, we'll see it's freedom from oppression in Egypt. In the whole bigger Bible story, it's freedom from the much greater oppression of sin and death. God wants us to set us free. But it doesn't end there. True freedom is being set free for God, for relationship and life with him. So in the book of Exodus, we'll see it's not just he takes them out of uh, Egypt and out of slavery, uh, but then he renews his covenant with them. He gives them the law so that they can learn how to live. Uh, He promises them a land, and then he comes to dwell with them in the tabernacle. And in the bigger story of the Bible, we we see this, um, what Exodus points us to, it's the coming of Jesus. Not just to 
bring freedom from sin and death through the cross and resurrection. Glorious and wonderful that is. But, but freedom to bring us into a new relationship with God through uh, his, his life. To know God living with us through the Holy Spirit. To have that sure hope that one day we will be in his very presence for all eternity. See, Exodus is all about freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom for God. And we need, I think, to keep being reminded of this. Because if you're anything like me, we get bogged down, we get stuck, we keep forgetting. We feel trapped often, whether it's in sin and sinful habits, or whether it's in suffering, or just the struggles and challenges of living in a messy, broken world we inhabit. We need to keep being reminded of the freedom that God wants for us in Christ. Now, Exodus is a, is a huge book. Uh, we've only got eight weeks to cover it, so it's going to be a whistle-stop, highlights-only, kind of helicopter ride across the top of uh, Exodus, but we're going to see some wonderful sights as we go. We're going to see some wonderful truths about God and what he is and who he's like. Today, we're going to see about the God who hears our groaning. Uh, we're going to see about the God who raises up a saviour in Moses, the God who has got no rivals because he overcomes all of the false gods of Egypt. We're going to see the God who rescues us through the Passover, who provides for his people in the wilderness, who gives his design for life uh, at Mount Sinai. Uh, and we're going to see the God who calls his people to worship him uh, and doesn't give up even when they bow down to a golden calf. God's not going to give up on them. Uh, and in fact, he's going to come and dwell right in the midst of his people with the building of the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filling it. It's big picture stuff as we go through this uh, series, but we're going to get a wonderful nature into the uh, insight into the nature and character of God, I hope. And so we're going to begin at the beginning. Uh, we're beginning in chapters 1 and 2. Each week, we're not going to be able to read the whole of the text. I mean, we've got two chapters this week, two chapters next week, then we've got about five chapters or six chapters, and then one week we've got about ten chapters. So we're not, we're not going to read the whole of the text. We'd love to, but, but you know, you'll be here uh, till tea time instead of lunchtime. And um, so I'd encourage you, if you could, to be reading Exodus through the through this, um, uh, this, this, this series uh, when you're not here. Read, read before you come, read the, the whole section, and we'll just have a little bit uh, in the, on the Sunday. But here's the um, heart of what uh, we want to think about today. Uh, chapter 2, verse 24, you can uh, look down and, and see it there. Um, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God hears our groaning. That's uh, the first point for today. There's only two, but that's the, the first one. God hears our groaning. And I think it's good to know that God hears our groaning. And I say that because we are often experiencing groaning in our world and in our lives. There's the groaning of creation. I mean, Paul talks about that in Romans 8, a creation that is under a curse, that is broken and twisted by the fall. In our own day, a climate emergency brings more frequent and deeper droughts and floods and tornadoes that, that wreak havoc and, and, and destroy lives, especially amongst the poorest. Creation is, is groaning. And then there's the groaning, of course, of political turmoil, of violence, of, of war, of nations' attacks, of states' 
annexed of costs of living increases and crises, especially falling, of course, on the poorest. And then there's the personal groaning of our own lives. As some of you experience. I mean, I don't mean just, you know, the football injuries after Wednesday nights and the aches and pains. Although there's plenty of groaning on a, on a football pitch on Thursday morning. Uh, but someone said to me this week, they said, uh, they said I, I, don't, I don't mind getting old. It's just things stop working so well. Uh, there's a deep sadness. There's groaning of bereavement, the challenges of terminal illness, the stress of financial pressure, relationships that break up. Hoping depression courses started uh, this week and, and there'll be the, the groaning of, of, of mental health challenges. We experience these personal groaning. And so it's good to be reminded that God hears our groaning. He's not remote, he's not aloof, he's not indifferent, he's not sitting out there somewhere on a kind of cosmic deck chair just not interested in you or in the world. He sees and he hears our groaning with a heart full of compassion. Now, here in the book of Exodus, of course, the situation is unique. You'll probably remember the story from the, from the end of the book of Genesis, or if not from the West End musical. Uh, Joseph, do you remember, favorite son of Jacob, hated by his brothers in part because he had an amazing technicolor dream coat. He probably wasn't, but it, it was a fine coat. He was favored by his, his uh, father, and so his brothers hated him. He was sold into slavery, you remember. He was taken to Egypt, but wonderfully, in God's providence, he is used by God... Uh, takes him out of jail uh, and makes him the, 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 the number two to Pharaoh and he saves the known world from famine through his dream interpreting gift. Egypt saved, his father and his brothers come down to Egypt, they settle and you get the list right at the beginning of the book of Exodus. These are the names of the sons of Israel. Um, and Genesis automatically just goes straight into Exodus. We have separate book titles, but actually the book of Genesis Exodus begins with the word and. I was told never to start a sentence with the word and. Miss Coton will tell, tell her children in primary school, you don't start a sentence with and. Uh, but, but the Bible writer starts a book with and, because uh, it's just coming straight out of Genesis into Exodus. And uh, here we go, the people have come down, uh, to 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 to, to um, Egypt, and uh, and in the coming years they're going to go rapidly into a great tribe of Israel uh, to form a large ethnic minority in Egypt. This this seventy become a, a great nation, and some generations later there's this new king, and this new king hasn't heard of the Joseph story. He never went to hear Jason Donovan singing uh, "Any Dream Will 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 Come True," whatever it is, and and. And he doesn't know anything about this story of, of their nation being saved. Or maybe he's conveniently forgotten because he suddenly sees this ethnic minority as a threat to national security. But he needs them because they're, they're necessary for the economy. So he doesn't want them to leave. He, he wants them to stay, but he wants them under his control. And so he begins these three sustained campaigns to enslave and control God's people. The first was enforced labor. In the cities and in rural areas, uh, they make their lives bitter. Twice, it says, they treat them ruthlessly. 
But the copulation keeps growing, so, so orders are given to, to the Hebrew midwives to sift the children, to allow the girls to live. They can marry off to Egyptian men, uh, but to kill the boys at birth. When this plan fails, through the heroic courage of the midwives, uh, the third campaign was in order to the whole of the nation, to all the people. If you ever see a Hebrew boy, you throw it in the Nile. Kill off those Hebrew children. It's unimaginable suffering. Freedom taken away, ruthless, hard labor. Their children killed before their eyes. No wonder there was a sound of groaning in Egypt. 2.23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. I wonder if for them it, it must have felt that you know, heaven was silent. I wonder if they thought, has God forgotten us? Has God maybe doesn't care? Maybe he's not even there. I know that's often the feelings that people have when they're in the midst of suffering. Even Christians feel that sometimes when life is so hard and they're crying out to God. It feels so hopeless. But here we're reminded, verse 23, their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God and God heard their groaning. God hears our groaning. He's always listening. He's open to the cries of his people when we cry out to him. And then we see verse 24, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, in the Bible, when it says God remembers something, and it does that quite often, it says God remembers, here he says God remembers his covenant. It's not that he's sort of, it's just slipped his mind. It's not that he has memory loss, that he can't quite remember what he'd, what he'd said or, or promised. It's not like you and me, or me at least, I don't know about you, yours might be brilliant, but my, you know, about forgetting things and then sort of suddenly remembering them. Uh, I mean, that is becoming a bit of a problem for me, I have to say. I, I, I do, do take pity on me. Uh, you know, my mind used to be quite nimble and retentive, and I could remember things and people and names and, and places and facts. I mean, I've never been brilliant at quizzes, but I could, you know, I could usually remember one or two of the questions out of ten, you know, two, and, and help a team. Uh, but now I can't remember any. I have to go to Google all the time. You know, and we're sitting around a table, and you go, can you remember that? And I can't remember that. And we were all sort of Googling to find things out that once we could remember. I mean, I don't know, that's just, maybe it's me, mostly me. Uh, you know, please, if, if I ever look at you blankly, please don't, don't take it personally. Don't be offended, don't think it's a person. It's not, it's, it's just my mind is going, or at least my memory is going, and I'm not God. I'm not God. But God never has a memory problem like that. Uh, he doesn't suddenly think, oh, oh I, didn't, I said that promise, didn't I, to Isaac and Abraham and Jacob? I made that promise. Oh, now I remember. No, that, that isn't God. That's, when it says he remembers his covenant, it means he's... He's, it's another way of saying he's going to act in a decisive way on a promise that he's made. He's never forgotten it, but he's now going to act in a decisive way. So do you remember what God's covenant promise was to Abraham, then reinforced to Isaac and Jacob? 
Well, you can find it in, in, in Genesis chapter 12. We won't turn back there. Let me tell you, if you, if you can't remember. He said to, basically to Abraham, I am going to make you, takes this one man, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a land to dwell in where you're going to live safely, and I'm going to bless you. You're going to live under my blessing. And fourthly, through you, the whole world will be blessed. I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And I'm through you. I'm going to bless the whole world. This was the promise that Abraham was given from God. Now, right now, we're in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. They're, they're, they're not in the land. They're in Egypt. And they're certainly not living, at least it doesn't feel like, under God's blessing because they are groaning in slavery. But if you notice, as we were reading, the writer makes clear that that God has not forgotten his covenant for they're already becoming a great nation. As they go into Egypt, they are 12 families, totaling 70 people. But even in these early verses, the emphasis is on population growth. Did you see that? Chapter 1, verse 7. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And again in verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. In verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives. The people increased and became even more numerous. See, God is fulfilling his promises. Even in the midst of suffering and the trials, he hasn't forgotten his covenant. He's building a people, a nation out of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now this great nation. And now as we head into the rest of the Bible, into the rest of Exodus, and then into the rest of the the Scriptures, he's going to act again in a decisive way to continue fulfilling his promises, to take them out of slavery, to bring them into a promised land flowing with milk and honey, where if they follow his ways, they're going to live under his blessing. And through that nation, it's intended to be a a light to the Gentiles. God remembers his covenant. God is fulfilling his promises to Abraham. He always is. And in these first couple of chapters, in the bits that we didn't have read, we see God at work in a couple of brilliant ways. And we don't want to just uh, bypass them all together, especially because they're about some amazing women who often get sidelined in the Bible. So as God fulfills his his covenant, as he remembers his covenant, uh, we see it in two ways. We we firstly see uh, what I call the marvelous midwives who feared God uh, in 1.15 to 21. You can glance down, but uh, read it later. Uh, If you've ever had a baby you'll know that midwives are pretty incredible people in general. And uh, you know, midwives seem to be those who, who are able to, to care and reassure and be kind and bossy at the same time, aren't they? They're brilliant. They're sort of forceful, strong, bossy, and kind and caring and, 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 and loving. And, um, and, and that's, you know, including with dads, especially if they get in the way. You know, midwives are very good at that. And, uh, and they... they um, are brilliant. And the next thing you know, you know, you're all sort of wondering what's going on, especially on your first. You haven't got a clue what's happening, and suddenly the baby's in your arms, and, uh, and it's an amazing thing. And um, so and praise God for midwives. And um, praise God, I, I hope you don't mind, but, but we have got a new baby in our midst for the first time who was born just this week. Ada Dunn is here with her mum and dad and auntie, and I think we should give a little round, a soft round of applause. Wonderful. It is so lovely to have you guys here, and you'll have experienced the work of midwives even this week. So midwives have got a pressurized job, but the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1 were under particular pressure. 
Uh, Shipra and Pua, they're probably the kind of senior overseers of a team of midwives for this growing population in Egypt, uh, are given strict orders from the most powerful man on the planet uh, that any baby boy is to be killed at birth. But we read wonderfully, chapter 1, verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God. And they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Hallelujah. Uh, You see, the midwives knew that they had a higher authority. They knew that they had a greater master. They knew that they had a God who gives life, and so every human life is precious. I love these marvelous midwives. And we see wonderfully that God blessed them, not just the whole nation, but they were blessed by the, for their courage, for their trust. They let the boys live. They, they risked their own lives uh, to, to do what was right. And so not only did the nation's population increase, but their own families were blessed too. I love the, the marvelous midwives. This is a great act of courage. I don't know about you, to to fear God, not to fear man, to go God's way even when it's hard and dangerous. I, I I want to be like these midwives. I want to be able to stand firm, to do what is right, to say yes to God rather than to all the other pressures that want to shape us uh, into its mold. Uh, Praise God for the the marvellous midwives. God's fulfilling his covenant. He's growing his people, but he's using uh, courageous individuals like these incredible women. Uh, second thing we see um, in the bit that we didn't have read uh, was um, a story you all know. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, what I call the, the, the Moses Mum and Miriam miracle. Okay, don't try and say that over quickly. It's like a tongue twister, really. But uh, anyway, try that later. Um, I've still seen, already seen a few lips moving. It's good. Uh, we're we're going to properly meet Moses next week at the burning bush. This is wonderful brief account of his birth in chapter 2, very familiar. We, we, we see God already beginning to act on his covenant promise. The one who God is going to use to deliver his people, Moses, is first himself delivered in his little ark through the waters of death on the Nile uh, and into the royal courts. He's a little picture of what's going to happen to Israel uh, here right at the start. You know, it is miraculous. Hebrew boys... Uh, to, were to be thrown into the river. Any old boy, uh, uh, small boy, uh, would have been, uh, was meant to be killed, thrown into the Nile to die. Uh, Moses is a Hebrew boy. He, he, he ends up in royal courts. This is a miraculous deliverance. Uh, we read, once born, you know, the little baby could be concealed. We hardly know Ada's here. Uh, for, for three months, they're little, they're tiddly. You can, you can sort of keep them away. You can keep them quiet. But, but three months in... Uh, Moses' mother knows that she can't do that forever. It's time to act. And we see um, Moses' mum. We don't get much insight into her motives. But in the face of ruthless, seemingly invincible, evil power that they're living under as a nation, she could easily have given in to despondency, to despair. So we can't do anything. It's It's just too much. But with this mother's love and with a hope in God, she puts her son in this waterproof basket and puts him in the Nile uh, amongst the reeds. And Moses' big sister Miriam just sort of hangs around to see what's going to happen. 
We know the story. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? Uh, none other than the daughter of Pharaoh comes to bathe. Uh, she sees the, uh, this little baby, Hebrew baby, and, and rather than tipping him into the Nile, as has been decreed for the nation, she is moved with compassion. And Miriam, who is just happening to pass at that moment, hanging around, uh, looking, uh, comes and, and, and either with a speech that has, her mum's prepared for her, say, look, look, if this happens, say this, or maybe we don't know that, maybe God just prompts her with this amazing uh, thought as a little girl. She, she says, Can I, should I go and find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, and and lo and behold, she goes and gets her mother. And Moses is reunited with his mother, her mother with baby. And, and they have this time to, to not just nurse Moses, but mom and probably dad too are able to teach Moses in those early years about the Lord Jesus or about the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, able to input all that will be necessary as he moves into his future life and leads Israel out of slavery. It's a miracle that Moses survives. It's a miracle that he ends up in the courts of, of, of Pharaoh. Uh, God is doing it, but he's using faithful individuals like Moses' mom and Moses' sister, uh, being courageous, being creative, being faithful. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant. And, you know, even in this first couple of chapters of Exodus, as we... Uh, draw to a close, we are being pointed to Jesus. It's not just a great old history story, reminding of who God is, but it points us to Jesus. See, just as Moses is rescued at birth from an evil tyrant, then he's prepared for ministry in the wilderness before he's being commissioned, as we'll see next week at the burning bush, ready to free his people from slavery in Egypt. So, some 1,500 years later, Jesus, you know the story, he's, he's rescued at birth from a tyrant who's trying to kill all the baby boys. And he too is led into the wilderness in preparation for his ministry. And then he's commissioned at his baptism to, to, to free the world from sin and death and to set us free to enjoy life with God. And Jesus does it through the cross going to focus on that in communion in a moment. Jesus is delivered from death as a baby, but he chooses to go to his death as an adult. And you know, the cross is a constant reminder that God hears us in our groaning. Never far away, but he's entered into our suffering. He knows what it's like. He's full of compassion. He knows what you're facing and feeling right now, even today whatever it is. But the cross reminds us he not only hears us and, 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 and feels it with us, but, but he has done something to transform it. He has done something to come and, and break the cycle, to bring a sure hope that groaning is not going to last forever. Through the blood of Jesus, God establishes a new covenant, as we'll remember at communion, that fulfills this one made with Abraham and makes it even better. For God is establishing a people from all nations to live under his blessing. That's the church. And we're beginning to experience that now as God fulfills his, his covenant. But of course we're still groaning even though he's fulfilling that purpose because we're still in this fallen, broken world. But, but we have the great promise that in Jesus one day uh, we'll enjoy living in a new creation. 
in the ultimate promised land, fully free from sin and suffering and death, enjoying the perfect blessing of all eternity. That's our great hope. And we see it here, even at the start of Exodus, their great hope fulfilled in Jesus. So as we draw towards communion, musicians are going to come up and, and, and lead us, uh, let's bring our, our lives to, to Jesus. It may be this one or two here who've never done that. You've never put your trust in Jesus, the great deliverer, the one who wants to give you life in all its fullness. Uh, you could do that today, even today. We have this time now to reflect. You can pray in your heart. Ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your life. If you're not quite sure, you're not ready for that, we'll do, I'd love to talk to you. Come and talk to me after. But for all of us, as we come to the cross, as we come to this time of communion, as we reflect, let's bring our groaning, our trials, our pain, let's bring it and trust the Lord with it. Let's bring our praise and thanks for remembering his covenant, for being that God who will never forget and always fulfill his promises. Perhaps let's seek to be those who are trusting God and courageous like the midwives, creative and faithful like Moses' mother and sister. Well, there's time for reflection during communion. Uh, There'll be people to pray with at the front corner there during communion and after the end of the service. Uh, Let's respond to God this morning. Let's pause for a moment. And then musicians are going to lead us.